0: Art Azurdia was one of my favorite preachers he could exposit the text he was brilliant he preached with great skill great accuracy great power I would listen to his sermons and I'd feel very moved. I would come away feeling as if I understood the word of God much better. I praised God for our end. And every time a new sermon would show up on the podcast feed from Trinity Church in Portland, I'd be the first to listen to it. And I was shocked. I was sad. I was mad. I was disappointed when I found out that Arterdia had had years of living in an, an affair, cheating on his wife with multiple women. I was heartbroken. Oh, I was obsessed over that moment. I read every article I could about it, concentrating on that man and what he had done. How he had damaged the name of the church. How he had damaged Christianity in America. I was broken. Carl Lentz, former pastor at Hillsong Church, and new york city someone that i particularly didn't care for as much from a theological perspective he was in a giant mega church preached theology different than i preach he uh he lived a life of luxury a life of uh great importance to celebrities he Justin Bieber went to his church, and Selena Gomez, and and all these other famous Hollywood actors and athletes went to his church. Very well-known type of life that Carl Lentz lived, and it was released a year ago or so, a year ago maybe that 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 he had been having extra marital affairs. I saw that guy, and I thought. Doesn't surprise me. Because somebody like that who preaches like that— would, that's the kind of stuff that they do— doesn't surprise me. His orthopraxy is a result of his orthodoxy. Doesn't surprise me. I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad my preachers are not like that. And we see Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias spent decades. Of his life, decades of his ministry, going to the largest conferences, speaking in some of the largest churches, defending the faith, mainly from a philosophical standpoint rather than a theological standpoint, but nonetheless, he was a smart man, and he had a lot of good things to say. He was known for his intelligence, he was known for the way that he could eloquently speak more than anything he was known for his high character in decades of ministry i never heard anything anything bad about ravi zacharias nothing he seemed to be a man of integrity and if there were these little blips that popped up there were people who were quick to say no that couldn't be true Oh, we're, we're, we're all, you know, we all have people who accuse us of things and we're falsely accused sometimes. Jesus was falsely accused, so, you know, that couldn't be true. And then it's released after his life. Maybe you've seen the report that was released last month. The findings that Ravi had decades of sexual immorality. Rape, pornography, sexual activity with many, many women. It was proved to be true. The accusations were true. The accusers were right. I was wrong. Oh, and I read that report. I was angry I was angry. I was again I, I read everything that I could read about it about this man's sin, about what this man did, about how this man could could travel for decades proclaiming the truth of God and stand in a pulpit, leave the pulpit and he would go and he and he would commit sexual immorality with with strangers, with women. How could a man of God do that? How could a man of God preach what he preached and go do what he did? And I was filled with anger. And I felt disappointed. But then I asked myself, when's the last time that I was so broken over my sin?" When's the last time I looked at my life? The things that I say, the things that I do, the jokes that I tell, the times that I exaggerate, or I'm slightly dishonest, the times that I that I walk in sin. When's the last time that that I was so broken, so concerned over my sin? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, as we As we talk about sin within the body of Christ, you know what what it says? It says, Take heed lest ye stumble. Take heed lest you stumble. I've got got an idea, a hunch, that I'm not alone in this camp. I've got a hunch, because it's here in the Bible that we all have a tendency to be hypocritical, to be hypocrites, to make much of other people's sin and to make light of our own. We have a tendency to point the finger, but have a tendency to hate when the finger is pointed at us. And so this morning, we have a heavy text, a heavy text that deals with judgment, hypocrisy, but also the mercy of God. And so my prayer as we start this morning is is that whatever the Spirit, whatever the Spirit convicts you of in your heart, that you would repent. Do not reject it. That you would not harden your heart. But you would pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you things that you need to repent of and trust in Christ. We walk in obedience and know up front there is forgiveness at the cross of Christ. There is forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter six. Please follow along as I read. Luke six thirty-seven through forty-two. Jesus says, "'Judge not, and you will not be judged. "'Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. "'Forgive, and you will be forgiven. "'Give, and it will be given to you. "'Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, "'will be put into your lap. "'For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you.'" He also told them a parable. "'Can a blind man lead a blind man? "'Will they not both fall into a pit?' My main point this morning is this. Christians, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation, Christians, Christians are called to a glorious life of mercy, forgiveness, and ongoing repentance. Christians are called to a glorious life of mercy, forgiveness, and ongoing repentance. Three, three points maybe that lead towards a life of mercy, forgiveness, and repentance this morning. One, we're called to check our standard. Check our standard. And this, these first two verses in Luke chapter six, uh, in this sermon this morning in Luke chapter six, verses thirty-seven through thirty-eight that we'll cover this morning, they are some of the most misquoted misapplied verses in our country. You've heard it. Everybody says what? Judge not, lest ye be judged. You point out somebody's sin, what do they say? Judge not, lest ye be judged. You you, you talk about any sin publicly, you talk about sin in, 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 in any room, you talk about sin especially on social media, and everybody says, judge not. You can't talk about sin because, well, you're a sinner. You can't, you can't deal with the substance of judge not, let's be judged. It's kind of a mic drop moment in our culture. And that is not what this passage is talking about. It's not. It's not saying that we can never deal with sin. We can never talk about sin. It's not, not saying that. But often we get so concerned about what this passage doesn't say that we hardly get to what it is saying. And so my hope is this morning that we do see what it does say. And, and, and it's a glorious and it's a convicting passage. But what I want to do is as we, instead of starting at judge not and condemn not and forgive and give, I want to start with, with verse 38. Because I think if we understand verse 38, we're going to better understand verse 37. And so um, what we see is, Jesus, he gives us this picture here of, of a measure, okay? And, and, and a measure, he says, if, you know, you're going to receive this measure. It's going to be a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it, it, will, it will be put into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. And so this, this measure that Jesus is speaking of here would be like a, think of like a cup. And, and you would go to the market, and you would pay a certain amount of money, and in this cup, you know, you'd pay for this amount, not more, not less, and so, you know, you'd say, I I, I want some corn, and so you'd go, and, and they'd fill up, and, and you'd be paying for this amount of, this amount of, of corn, this, this, and this cup, this measure, here's, here's what you're paying for, and so as, as you pay your money, you, you know, you, you go to the, to the worker, and the worker, he starts filling up this, this cup with corn, right, and, And the measure you know you you get kind of frustrated maybe if it's only half full you know i paid i paid for the i paid for the for the full thing and i want you to fill it up like like chick-fil-a right now we we have got a problem we've got a problem some of you guys don't know i i I, i'm with chick-fil-a and 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 with that we've got a problem with our large fry boxes okay we do what happens with these large fry boxes is they're spread out, and so when the, when the fries, when they come out of the oil nice and hot, and then, you know, they the salt on them, they fill it up really nicely. But as they cool down, they kind of condense in size a little bit, and so what happens is like two or three minutes after you, you know, you're driving in the car, and you, and you open your bag, when you get back home to work, you've noticed they're not as full as they looked. But nobody ate any of your fries. Well, that's what, if you ever wondered, that's what happened. That's what happens. It's a fact. Notice next time, when you, when you order them at Chick-fil-A, when you stop tomorrow... Not today, but when we stop tomorrow, go look. Buy some fries, buy the large. You see how, how full they are? Let them sit in your back for five minutes. It's, you guys, it's magic. Okay? But you know what happens? Customers get super mad at us. They think that we filled up their fries halfway because this like, literally looks halfway full. It's, I'm telling you, it's a bad box. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that right now. They get mad because they paid... They paid for a large fry. So, so they expect the large fry to be full. It's a standard. It's a measure. I paid for this. This is what I should get. And Jesus here, he talks about like this measure that, that we're going to receive, and it's going to be fulling, like, full and overflowing. What, what, whose fries does that remind you of? Five guys. Like, you go to five guys, and you're like, I pay for this 20-ounce cup full of fries, but literally I get a 20-ounce cup and a full bag of fries. And so you pay it, and you get it. You're like, that, that, that's kind of a picture here of what Jesus is kind of getting at. He's like, you got this measure, and I'm just going to let you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to fill it over the top for you. We're going to look at this measure. Whatever measure, whatever measure you choose, we're going to fill it up. You're going to get that and more. And this measure has to do with judgment and condemnation. It has to do with forgiveness. This measure has to do with being given to, generosity. I think it implies the judgment of God to you, whether you're condemned or acquitted to you. Whether forgiveness for you, or whether you're given to, all this by God. And God's saying, what standard do you use? What measure do you use? What standard, what measure do you use for, for judgment? What measure do you use for condemnation? What measure do you use for forgiveness and for generosity? How do you do it? What's your measure? you ever think about that this morning? Have you thought about that? When, when, when you look and you're angry, and you're angry at Robbie Zacharias, and you're angry at all, what's your, what's your standard of judgment? What is it? We're, 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 we're following a passage last week where we talked about enemies, those who sin against us. Those who would even persecute us. And we're called to love them. We're called to forgive them. But but the reality is the Christian Christian life is is going to be full of people who sin against us. The Christian life is going to be, when you're part of a church, the Christian life is is full of people who will wrong you. It's it's full of people who are going to hurt you, full of people who are going to make you angry, all of the above. Get used to it. That is the Christian life. You will never find relationships where that doesn't happen. You won't ever find churches that doesn't happen. You won't ever find families that doesn't happen. Christian, get used to it. Life is full of people that will hurt us and people sin against us. Now that doesn't take away the hurt though, does it? It doesn't mean that what people do to us isn't wrong. It shouldn't affect us. But the reality is there comes a point where, where we must decide how will we deal with these things? How will we deal with these relationships? How do we deal with these people and these ideas and these concepts? How, what will we do with it? How will we measure it? We must check our standard. And many of us, many of us, maybe you, want to be judged. You want your condemnation, want your forgiveness, you want it, you want it to be based upon your works. You think, I can judge. Because I'm a pretty good guy. Like, I, 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 can, I can judge Ravi because I didn't live decades of my life doing what he did. So I can do that. I, I can judge the really, really, you know, vile sinners because I don't do that. You know, I, of course God's going to forgive me because I'm not that bad of a guy. Or I'm not that bad of a young lady. I go to church. I don't steal. I'm pretty good. And so, because I'm pretty good, I'm better than my neighbor. I can judge. I can condemn. You know, I don't need to forgive them because you know what they did. I didn't do that. I've never done that. I can hold bitterness. I can hold grudges. I can cut people out of my life. I can block them. I can cancel them. I can do that because that's not me. We've also, we, we, if we're not careful, we, we often fall into these traps, even Christians, where, where we base our discernment upon our own works. That we're judged righteously on basis of our works and we're judged forgiven based upon our works well if you've got your bible please turn to luke chapter or to romans chapter three is that the standard that you want is that the measure that you want the measure of your choice I, i want to be judged according to my works because my works are better than the next guy my life's better than the next guy I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous woman. I'm a good person. Dang it! I'm a good person. Let's go to Romans three, and let's. That might be what you think. You want to be judged according to your works. You want to be judged according to what you do. Here's what God says. Who cares about what I say? Who cares about what your parents say? And who cares about what you say? Let's see what God says in His Word. He says this, in in Romans chapter three, verse ten, we read. No one is righteous. No one is righteous. No, not one. Not you. Not me. You might think I'm better than the next guy because I'm up here preaching today. I'm not. I'm not righteous. I've got plenty of sin. No one understands. No one. No one seeks for God. Maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking, well, I sought God. I on, on my own, I, I'm the one that, that tried to be like God and I, I, I'm the one who tries to be pious and holy and no, you didn't. Not apart from God, you didn't. And if you did, you're sitting here telling God, you're calling God a liar. No one seeks after God. No one's good. No one's good. No, not even one. You get that? Not one. And not yet, either. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I wasn't born when this was written. So that's still, not you. You're not the good person. I'm not the good person. If I was judged according to my works, if you were judged according to your works, and your life, and your decisions, and your heart, you know what the grade would be? F. Fail. And not like a 58, either. A zero. There was no righteousness in you at all, apart from Christ. There is no goodness in you at all apart from Christ. So when you are judged, it is zero, fail, period. And he goes on. Paul, Paul goes on here in, in, in Romans three thirteen. He's like, let me just describe it to you for a little bit. You know, you're evil. Your throat is an open grave. You speak nothing but blasphemies against God. Apart from Christ, that's who we all are. We, we use our tongues to deceive. We, we lie. We exaggerate. We try to make ourselves look better than we actually are. We say things we don't mean. We try to sound pious. We try to sound religious. We try to impress people. God's not impressed. You're not righteous. You're not good. He says, The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the peace, and the way of peace, they have not known. Here's the problem. There was no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, we sit here and we think, in our own righteousness, that we can stand before God and he'd be proud of us. Oh, we think that we can stand in our flesh and God would say, wow, that's impressive. We think we can stand there before God. Oh, dear friends. You go to John, you go to Isaiah, these godly men of old who feared the Lord, who knew the Lord, who walked with the Lord. But when they got a vision of the Lord and his holiness and his goodness, they fell at his feet as though dead because he is that holy. Oh, a heart that thinks they can stand before a living and holy god has no fear of the lord because they think much of themselves they think they're righteous they think they're worthy and they are not and if that's you this morning you are not worthy you are not good you are not righteous and i don't say that as someone who thinks he's righteous and thinks he's good And is telling you i'm saying it we're all under this umbrella apart from christ Myself included. Apart from Christ, this is us. All of us. And it goes on. In verse 20, he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So if you think, okay, I just got to be a better person. I've got to be a better person, then I can, then I can somehow, some way earn God's favor. I can be judged worthy with no condemnation. I can be forgiven of my sin, and God's gonna give me good things because I earned it. But what's it say? What's it say? By your works, by your attempted attempt at obedience of the law, you will not be justified. You will not be declared righteous. By your works, you will always be declared guilty. Always. There is no hope for you in your works. There is no hope for you in your obedience. There is no hope for you at your attempts to be good. Apart from Christ, you are guilty and you will receive the wrath of God. So, is that the standard? Is that the standard, my friend? Is that the standard that you want? Is it? Because Jesus says, For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Is that the measure of choice, my friend? Relying on your works and judging other people according to theirs and condemning other people according to theirs and forgiving other people according to their work and their worthiness and being generous with other people according to their works as if they've earned it enough for you. Is that your standard? Can I offer you a better standard this morning? One with hope. One with glory. One, the, the hope, that the reason that we're here this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, and that is the hope of the grace of God. Because praise God that Romans doesn't end with verse 20 of chapter 3. It goes on to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from your works, apart from your obedience, apart from your attempt to earn God's favor, to, to be a better person, and to earn, make God love you, and to try to say, I'm going to be forgiven because of my good works, according to the law, and the prophets bear witness to it. Apart from that, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Listen, this is important. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So under this standard of measure, under this standard, there's still something that's the same as the last standard. We are all sinners. We are all guilty. We are all deserving of the wrath of God. We do not deserve His mercy. We are sinners. All of us. Oh, but verse 24. We all know Romans 3, 23 We've got to know Romans 3.24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Those are a lot of words. And I wish I could just preach through this one little verse this morning. But I will say this so we we'll, let's let's look at it very quickly we are justified that means we are judged innocent we are declared righteous that you are not declared guilty you are not worthy of the wrath of god but you are declared innocent you are declared good you are declared righteous as, or as it says here in Romans 3:24 you are justified god is judging you christian as innocent as righteous as pure as good, but not according to your works. Not according to to somehow you earning it, or being a good person, or giving to the poor, or going to church, or, or, you know, whatever. You are justified what does it say? By His grace. You deserve His wrath. You deserve eternal punishment in hell. All of you, and so do I. But we are justified and declared righteous by His grace alone. Isn't that good news, church? And and, and how is this? As a gift that God is giving you his grace. God is generous with you. We go to Ephesians 1 and we see all the gifts that God gives to us in Christ Jesus by the power of the Spirit. He does this for us as a gift, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because he is good. Because he is gracious. Oh, that's good. This is the best news that we could possibly meditate on this week. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus' redemption. It's this, it's it's the fact that because of our sin, we were enslaved to sin. We could do nothing but sin. We could be nothing but sinners, never desiring righteousness, never desiring God. But in Christ Jesus, Christ pays for us through his death on the cross, and he buys us out of the slave market and makes us a slave to Christ, and slaves to righteousness. And again, Christ does this not because we earned it, not because we wanted it, not because we did anything, but because Christ is gracious, and God is merciful. And it says in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, big word, means this. It means God's wrath is fully satisfied, period. That Christ's death on the cross was sufficient. It means this that there's nothing that you can do to add to your salvation. Nothing from your salvation ever, or is, or ever will be a result of your work. Your salvation from beginning to end is the work of God alone by grace through faith according to His loving kindness and his gracious will, period. Period. That would be a great place for an amen. Do we believe that, church? Oh, do we believe that? pray that we do. I pray that we do. But here's the, here's the reality, church. We might know it here. Has the reality hit here? We can intellectually read what this passage says. How do we know whether we believe it or not? What's evidence? What's evidence that we really do believe this? Theology has implications. said it before, I'll say it again. Our orthodoxy, what we believe, leads to orthopraxy, leads to how we live. Our theology results in our doxology. Said that several different ways. So, if we are gripped by this reality, we're choosing the measure of the grace of God. We're trusting in Him alone for salvation. We're trusting in Him to be justified by the work of Christ. We're trusting in Him so that there will be no condemnation in our life. We're trusting in Him for forgiveness and we're trusting in His provision. And all of that by His grace alone because of who He is, not because of who we are. If that is a reality, then church, (laughs) the way that we judge others and condemn others or not condemn others and forgive others and give to others and be generous with others will be reflective of what we believe about this. It will be reflective. So, how do we judge? Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. And he's, 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 he's looking at this, and he says, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. You're like, well, that sounds like works, works righteousness, and it's not. The same way that we judge is the same way that we're going to receive judgment. Well, h- how is that? I think Jesus is, is, is saying This. We judge not because we ourselves have not been judged. you understand that? You have not been judged by your own life. Your justification is not based upon your own life. It's not. It's about the the life of, of Christ. And if we're recognizing that, how could we be a people how could we be a people who are so nitpicky over other people's sins how, how could we how could we be be a people who are self righteous how could how could we be a people who who succumb to hypocritical judgmentalism not The right type of judgment. But in this context, a hypocritical type of judgment. The type of judgment that looks down upon others but looks good upon favorably upon yourself. The type of judgment that looks upon sinners' sin overly harshly and at your own sin very dismissively. You never give anyone else the benefit of the doubt, but you always want the benefit of the doubt. That kind of sin. The kind of sin that's very, very, very quick to criticize. The type of of judgment that provides the attitude that is quick to call others to repentance, but very unwilling to repent yourself. It's a hypocritical type of judgment. The type of judgment that constantly looks down upon others because of your high and lofty place that you think that you climb to because of who you are. Jesus, church, is not honored with that type of judgment. Jesus is not pleased with hypocritical judgment. He's not. He's not pleased by that. In a heart that demonstrates self-righteous, hypocritical judgment is a heart that is not gripped by the grace of God. It's not. Rather, it is concerned with self-promotion. At the expense of someone else. So, does this does this mean that we never judge? We never make judgments. We never make judgment claims. No, it doesn't. I mean, we in Hebrews five fourteen we're we're called to discern good and evil. We're called to be people who can look at evil and we say and and, and recognize it as evil. Recognize good and we can call it good. We're called to do that. As the church, we are called to do that. That's who we're called to be. We are called to make judgments of good and evil. We're called to discipline our kids. are like, how can I, a sinner, discipline my child who's a sinner? How can I do that? No, we're called to discipline our kids. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14, we, we discipline our kids. We're called to fight for purity in the body of Christ. So we're called to fight against sin and, and, and to be a body that is concerned with corporate holiness. We are actually concerned, believe it or not, Christians, with each other's sin. Amen. May we be a people that's, that's true. 1 Corinthians Five says that Paul calls the church there to, you know, to purge the evil, sexually immoral person, unrepentant sinner from among you. That's what Paul says. That's a form of judgment. So we do judge. We practice church discipline. In Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, you go and you approach him. If he doesn't repent, then you bring, uh, you know, two or or three uh, brothers and, and you approach him. And if he doesn't repent, you put him before the church. If he doesn't repent, you excommunicate him for the purpose of hoping that he would repent and come back to the body of Christ. That's a form of judgment. We're called to preach against false teachers. In 1 Timothy multiple times, in 2 Timothy multiple times, you can look it up. We are called to a certain type of judgment. We're called to a certain type of discernment. And, and we're also called to call sinners to repentance. That's what Peter did in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We are called to a certain type of judgment. We are. But what we're not called to do is to be hypocrites. The type of people who are concerned with other people's sin, but not concerned with our own. The the type of people who care so broken and so upset and so hurt over everybody else, but want to hide their own sin and don't want to repent. Jesus condemns. Jesus condemns that type of judgment. And he says, if you, if you want to judge that way, you will be judged that way. You want, you want to judge the way that you're judging your worst sinner in, in your hypocritical way, you will be judged that way. Because it shows this, that your heart is not gripped by grace. You're not relying on the, the grace of God. You're relying on yourself. When you rely on yourself, you don't have the grace of God. You don't. You can't rely partly on God and partly on yourself. Salvation, as we already read, is a, is a, is a gift of grace by God alone. Period. It's not half you, half God. It's all God and know you. A heart that knows that will not judge from a hypocritical manner. Their default position is this. Graciousness. Serious about sin. Serious about holiness. But when we approach these issues, we do so with fear and trembling. We don't approach our brother who's in sin as, with a haughty attitude. We don't, we don't make jokes about it. We're not prideful about it. We do it with fear and trembling. We do it humbly, knowing this, that nothing good in us, and even our recognition of the conviction of sin and is, is nothing more than a gift of the Spirit to us. That's how we judge. And then he says this, condemn not, because we have not been condemned. Condemnation involves rendering someone as definitely guilty, guilty. In most cases, we're calling someone's faith into question based upon their sin. I must confess, through many conversations that I had about Ravi Zacharias and his life, one of the burning questions that rose to the top, not just for myself, but among others, is, do you think he was a Christian? A man who lived that long, an unrepentant sin, do you think he was a Christian? Oh, and I certainly had my opinion, but the more and more I thought about it, I thought, oh my goodness, who am I? Who am I to think that question better yet, answer it? Maybe you've thought that yourself. Who are you to think that question? Better yet, answer it. Oh, sure, Ravi's sin's out in the open. And sure, Ravi's sin was was grotesque. But friends, if, if we were to post your search history right up here on the screen for the whole church to see, if we had a video camera of the way that you talk to your wife this week, the way that you talk to your children, the desires of your heart, if we could just somehow put them up on a projector and the whole church would see it, What would it say about your life? Are you to be judged by your actions? Condemned by your sin? I don't know if Robbie's in heaven or not. No clue. But that's not my concern. And I hope it's not your concern either. Take heed, friends, lest you stumble get your eyes off your brother in a certain sense and, and check your own heart when we're quick to condemn say well they're obviously not a christian it's a very dangerous place that jesus says don't go because those of us who are in christ jesus in romans chapter 8 it says this There is no condemnation There's no condemnation. And it doesn't mean that there's no condemnation because of our works. It says there's no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Your condemnation is not based upon your, your your lack of condemnation is not based upon your faithfulness. Your lack of condemnation is not based upon your work. Your, your lack of condemnation is not based upon your obedience. It's not. Your, your lack of condemnation is not based upon your, your clean internet history. Your, your lack of condemnation is, is not based upon the fact whether you homeschool your kids. It's not. Your, con- your lack of condemnation is a result of God's grace and mercy and provision alone, period. Period. Christians know that. And so when we know that, How could we possibly look to somebody and say, well, their sin? We I know this for a fact, their sin disqualified them from being a we we just don't know that. We don't know that. We are not God. We cannot condemn. We have no place to condemn. He just says this the, the we should be the type of people who forgive. Because we've been forgiven. We have been forgiven. What our hope for forgiveness is, is based upon the mercy of God alone. We cast ourselves offering nothing, nothing before the feet of the Lord, repenting of our sin and trusting Him alone for salvation. He forgives us. He has forgiven us. And that type of life results in a life that forgives others, that doesn't hold grudges, that doesn't just cut everybody out, but that does forgive. Jesus tells a parable in, in Matthew eighteen, this parable of, of the wicked servant. Servant comes out and he owes his he owes his master some money, he owes his master a great debt, a debt he would never ever ever repay. And the the slave comes out, and he he falls before the feet of his master, and he pleads for forgiveness. He says, please forgive me, please, because the the master had every right to throw this guy into prison. But the master, in his mercy, he forgives the the servant. Your debt's forgiven, go. And then that, what does that servant do he goes and he finds another servant who owed him a small debt small amount of money and he that slave that owed him money he he pleads for forgiveness but that slave who'd already been forgiven has no mercy no mercy on this slave that owed him a small debt after this slave his large debt had already been forgiven by grace from his master what's point? Jesus points this. Who are we who have been forgiven not to forgive? Who are we who have been forgiven from the wrath of God, who have offered nothing for our sal- of our salvation? We, we bring nothing to the table. Nothing. You, know, you think about marriage. You think about marriage and you've got two people, and, you know, they, they kind of both bring something a little to the table. You know? Think of it up front. You think of it like a, you know, 50-50. We both kind of bring it. Our relationship with Christ is nothing like that. You bring nothing. You bring nothing but baggage. You bring nothing but vileness. But in the midst of that, Christ forgives us because he's good. Because he's good. That's why. That's it. That's the only reason. Not because you're good. It's because he's good. And so who are we? And Christian, who are you? To walk in bitterness. You want to walk in bitterness? Do You want to go down that road? You want to walk in unforgiveness? There's a chance it says a lot about your faith or lack thereof. You want to go down that road? Jesus says, hey, the way that you forgive? You want to play that game? I'll forgive you that way. You want to? Because the way you forgive the way you will be forgiven. But a heart that does forgive and a heart that doesn't condemn and a heart that doesn't judge from a self-righteous, hypocritical way is gripped by the grace of God. It is. It understands their salvation. It understands they've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, period. So it overflows into the way that we treat others that sin against us. It's a byproduct of the way that we treasure and love and trust in Christ. And we give because we've been given to. We're generous because Christ has been generous with us. Again, not because we earned it, Go to Ephesians 1. Go read Ephesians 1 this week. Go read it. And then go read Ephesians 2. Ephesians 1's glorious, but you know what makes Ephesians 1 glorious? Ephesians 2. Ephesians 1 says who we are in Christ Jesus and everything that Christ Jesus did for us and what he gave to us. And Ephesians 2, it starts right there at the top. It says this, and you've been saved by grace through faith because you were an enemy of God. Enemy of God. You get that? You were an enemy. You were not neutral. You were not just, you know neutral towards God. You are an enemy, deserving of his wrath. I'd love to go on, but I'll save the rest for next week. But as we look at these two verses, I would ask you, what is is your standard? What is your standard of justification by which you desire to be justified? Is it your own righteousness? If it is your own righteousness, you will be declared guilty. I promise you that. Christ's word tells us that. And because of that, because that is your standard, you will judge everyone else. From a from a place of self righteousness, you will judge everyone else from a place where you think that you're better than everybody. You're better than your neighbor. You're better than Ravi. You're better than Art Azurdia. You're better than Carl Lentz. You're better than Donald Trump. You're you're better than Joe Biden. You're better than Kamala Harris. And you're better than other people in this room. You're better than the families that have left. When your standard is yourself and your works, that's how you will judge people. And it says a lot about your faith and a lot about your heart. What's your standard for whether you're acquitted or condemnation? Is it your own work? Is it your own good behavior? If your standard is your work and your own good behavior, you will be condemned because God's word tells us that. And you will live a life where you will be condemned by God. And you will condemn others because that's your worldview. That's what's in your heart. And if your measure for forgiveness is your ability to earn forgiveness, your ability to be a good person, and if they just, you know, pay it back enough, I'll maybe forgive them, if they just change enough, maybe I'll forgive them. If they just, you know, bow to me and make much of me, maybe I'll forgive them. It's all based upon works. If that's your view of forgiveness, it says a lot about your heart. What you th- the way that you think God forgives. But Christian if Your standard for judgment, your standard for condemnation, and your standard for being acquitted, guilty, or being declared innocent is an alien righteousness. Not in and of yourself, nothing that you deserve, nothing that you earned, nothing that you're entitled to. But if your standard for that is understanding that I can only be declared righteous and only be forgiven. And only be acquitted by the grace of God alone. Dear friends, you will. You will receive eternal life. And that's the most glorious news in all of the world. But you know what? It will play out in the way that you love your neighbor. It will play out in the way that we do relationships within this room. It will play out the way you love your wife. It will play out the way you raise your kids will play out the way that you react to those who sin against you, those who wrong you, those who persecute you. So what do we do? Oh dear friends, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we see Jesus, we see the perfect holy son of God. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's not like your neighbor. He's perfect, he's holy, he's just, he's good, flawless, sinless, perfect. And when we gaze upon Christ, we don't gaze upon Christ and think much of ourselves. We don't gaze upon Christ and think much of our works. We understand that we are guilty. Oh, but but dear friends, when we gaze upon Christ, we see a God who is full of mercy. We see a God who's full of forgiveness. And may we be like Christ. May we desire to be like Christ. If that is you this morning, if that's not you this morning, we're going to take communion, we're going to have a time of prayer. I would encourage you, pray that Christ would give you a heart that desires Christ's likeness. If you're struggling with with hypocrisy and you're struggling with condemnation of others and you're struggling with a lack of forgiveness, you've been holding bitterness and, and resentment up, Dear friends, take this moment. Do not leave. Do not leave this place the same way you walked in. Lay it at the foot of the cross, friends. Repent. Trust in Christ. See his mercy. See his glory. Confess your sins. As Doug preached a few weeks ago, confess your sins to Christ. He was already forgiven you, dear friends. Walk in mercy like Christ walked in mercy. And dear friends, if you're here this morning and you have, you're hearing the gospel for the first time, maybe you trusted in yourself, you trusted in your works, you trusted in your own ability to be a good person, and you, and you think, I'm just here this morning, or, or I give to the poor or something that, and, and somehow God's going to love me because of that and think I'm a good person because of that. Dear friends, if that was you, and the first time here this morning, you realize, wow. I brought nothing to the table. I can't bring anything to the table. And because of that, I'm guilty before God. But in his grace and in his mercy, because of what Christ did on the cross to, to take the wrath of God for me, to, to satisfy the wrath of God for me fully, I can bring nothing. And I, my only hope is to cast myself before the mercy of God. If that is you this morning, dear friends, repent and trust in Christ. He will forgive you. He will save you. Do not leave. Let me plead with you. Do not leave here with an unrepentant, hard heart. Christ will give you mercy. Christ will sanctify you. Christ will do it, not you. Amen.